A riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, tied off with a who really cares? It's Giddo's nasty notes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sir Dr. Alex Sarand. Due to a gentleman's agreement and strict contract with his lawyers, I'm obliged to read Gibbo's nasty notes on this dreadful podcast. I'm a retired professor of Western civilization, marooned here on this godforsaken Pacific island. The lawyers do permit me to say that I have had a difficult history with Gibbo, and that I really do read these notes reluctantly. That's right, listeners. Each week, my conservative old Western Civ professor meets me at a studio to read aloud whatever I write for him. He also has a right of reply to defend himself. My name is Tarquin Gibbs, and my advice is don't make bets or gentlemen's agreements. Oh, and our no-nonsense Jane helps with the music and technical side of things. Enjoy. Dr. Cephalic is feeling very satisfied this week after his cathartic purge of chauvinism. Yes, his gender is the best. Yes, his fake race is the best. He feels comforted after reassuring himself that he is the best and everyone else is not quite as good. Laugh as much as you like about other people's lunch packs, Sir Alec. The reality is I have many a friend who has a bifid phallus and they are lovely. Listener, you find your male geisha this week wearing his Simone de Beauvoir headscarf in the style of Zadie Smith. And I'm re-binge-watching all of Lena Dunham's Girls. Girl power. Dunham's a genius. She brought to the forelight realities about being a twenty-something woman that some say would have been better left hidden. Wrong. All the crannies and nooks of young women's existential angst need to be exposed more. Girls also receive some criticisms for being a bit racist, which Dunham acknowledges. I received some emails earlier this week probably from one of Sir Alex's alias accounts, asking me where I get my money to fund this podcast. This show has many very wealthy women benefactors who support my work as a male geisha. One of them owns an entire mountain, almost a town, in a blue-chip island province. Another donor owns almost an entire province, known for its phosphate or lithium deposits. I can never remember which one, but I know she's committed to reforestation. Sadly, a lot of men think you have to go outside and wear pants to bring home the bacon and earn a crust, and all that type of 20th century nonsense. They think they need to be number one. Peter Familius, big dogs, daddy's home, buckle-wearing broncos, war, master builders, captains of industry, geopoliticians, macroeconomic 12-inch Queen's Council. I'm a business man. Well, I earn just as much wearing a see-through lederhosen and a tray of sushi rolls I prepared earlier. What, I can hear Sir Alec asking, what service does Tarquin as a male geisha provide? I listen, Sir Alec, that's all, and provide delightful conversation on anything from Dura's Hiroshima Monomore to King Kong Theory by Virginie Dupont. From discussing King Kong theory, we might move on to examine Bordeaux's book, Masculine Domination. Whatever takes my benefactresses' fancy. Geishas are conversationalists. And in turn, the ladies help by contributing funds to my school of male geisha. 
which I established to compete with Cephalic School of Western Civilization, which sadly he was fired from. His school languishes, my school prospers. Which is one of the reasons I never ask you, my listener, to donate any money to Gibbo's Nasty Notes. If you must donate to something, please give to Penguin or HarperCollins. Publishing houses are in real trouble these days. Sorry, Tarquin, I need to say something. If listeners could donate a little money to me, that would be really appreciated. I have a Patreon page called Help Jane at Gibbo's Nasty Notes. The money I don't make from this podcast means I've given up meat and only have two meals a day. I'm hungry. Right, listener. Jane's crying poor, even though I pay her a fee competitive with today's gig economy. The School of Geisha needs everything its benefactors provide. But yes, listeners, if you must, you can help Jane at her Patreon page. Jane says she will post scripts, short stories, novellas, novels, songs, compromising photographs and audio recordings there. She says she will make available only the very worst poems, because she believes people will pay more for material that embarrasses the creator, much more readily than for material that suggests they know what they're doing. In fact, the word Patreon comes from the word patron, and as you know, the School of Geisha already has lots of wealthy female patrons. I had the feeling I would have done very well under the late medieval patronage system, being a naughty geisha for Prince Medici, Full access to the harem for a few scant jokes. Yes, all the sushi I could eat for being a jester at the Imperial Court of Kyoto. Ah, the good old days. Help me, listener. Help Jane at Gibbo's nasty notes. Please. No, you please, Jane. Thank you very much. Now, getting back to the matter at hand. Um, Tarquin, Jane has a point. You pay me very little, too. Your feminist benefactors have tied me up in legal knots, and I can't, for the life of me, think how to get out of doing this show. My stipend is so measly I've taken to eating the worms in my oats. Me too, sir. Enough. Enough of that. And then, after providing sushi from a wearable tray I made in my craft shop, I provide some light relief with improvised shiatsu, or I read a haiku I've written. Tarquin, sorry, I'm going to insist you perform that five minutes of the show that I have a legal right to make you perform. And then perhaps I'll play Ms. Reinhardt the shakuhachi flute or koto. Ms. Walton likes to watch me make California rolls. They're all different. Ms. Turnbull likes my hot yoga sessions. Tarquin, wake up. You're fuging into one of your narcoleptic fits. Oh, for goddess sake. Sir Alec, I'll read your piece. What is it this week? More fantasies about me performing genital operations on myself and my undergraduate housing? Or maybe more of your awful fantasies about how the Chinese only come up to your knees? No, Tarquin. I have written this week a story in the first person about something very dear to your heart. The story of your awakening as a male feminist. Well, I can't wait to see the mess you've made of that. Very well, darling Tarquin. Read on. Okay, here is Sir Alex's story for me this week. He has titled it, The Only Man in Women's Studies. It begins, 
I don't remember why I enrolled to be the only man in women's studies. I'd failed German, philosophy, linguistics, art history, politics, economics, and psychology twice. And psychology twice. Maybe I wanted to become a better person. Humanities students study the human condition to get into the best human condition they possibly can. It's gym for moral self-regard. Everyone's there to get ethically ripped. Am I gender polymorphous enough? Am I post-racial without being invisible? The virtue and vanity of learning dovetail in the liberal arts. But I wasn't in women's studies for the hot girl in row G or the little filly in row M. I wasn't there to be awoken by Diane, my mature age classmate, or get involved in a menage a trois with my tutor and her pets. I was there to learn what seemed natural wasn't. Even sexual dimorphism, the apparently natural physical size difference between men and women, could be easily changed if men were locked in cages and fed on a liquid gruel, while women followed regimens of rigorous bodybuilding. Design things correctly, and men wouldn't break five feet two, and women would never drop below six. Spindly guys would work as house elves, while women pumped iron in gymnasia. Powerful female biceps would deliver humiliating defeats in sex versus sex arm wrestles until such time that it would be laughable to seriously consider that it was competition. The little lady would be the big cheese. Men would take antidepressants to compensate for peeing seated. They would wash the household's dirty underwear just so long as they never tried to open the door for the master of the house. Clitorises would grow, penises wilt. Men would sit demurely on sofas with their knees held tightly together and they'd never leave the toilet seats up. Such were the anti-patriarchal and anti-Western thought experiments my women's studies class conducted twice a week. And I, Tarquin Gibbles, could always be counted on to give a supportive smile and word of encouragement to my all-female class. Yep, I would bring protein shakes to my woman. Yep, I think I already have peed sitting down. Carol, my tutor, was formidable. She styled her face to look exactly like the woman with nipples for eyes in the Magritte painting La Viole, which was also used as the flyer to advertise Women's Studies 101. The painting's title can be translated into English as The Rape. As well as nipples for eyes, it also presents a woman's unshaven mons pubis for a mouth. By styling her face and hair to resemble this painting, Carol was encouraging me to practice symbolic thought. But I couldn't grasp what she was trying to say. Maybe it was, Tarquin, your gaze molests me. Or maybe it was, my nipple eyes molest you. Maybe Carol just thought Magritte was a good painter. She was working on levels no 20-year-old cult, baby stallion, could glean. But that didn't mean I didn't learn anything. I saw that even imagining all this weird stuff about men and women showed I had a lot to sort out. Expertly, Carol and Magritte's vagina and nipple face painting helped me to look more closely at myself. Did I have a penis for ears? Carol said she was going to go easy on my first essay. It was designed for us to test the water. I reminded her of this when she failed it. She said the water was hot and there were no points for bravery just for attending women's studies classes. This meant I would have to do well in my presentation and final essay to pass the course. After getting my fail grade, 
I went back to my dorm and had angry, non-women studies approve intercourse with the girl from my college. I felt very guilty that it was too binary. At one stage I was even on top, although upside down. Afterwards, I pondered my female anatomy poster that I'd bought in preparation for the course. I was angry that I could name all the body parts but was still sitting on a fail grade. I asked the girl to leave so I could get stuck into my next essay. I chose surrogacy for my next topic and refined it down to gestational surrogacy in the third world. Implanting rich people's embryos into poor women's wombs seemed fraught with ethical problems. I sat for a whole half hour working out my thesis, deciding on third world surrogacy is bad because rich people exploit poor women's bodies for rich people's gain. That seemed like an acceptable proposition and so I wrote throughout the night until I had finished the first draft. Things heated up in the next class. Diane, my classmate, was reading French feminists and walked into the room saying things like, Smother, your breast milk is ice. As she bracketed her crotch with her palm, she yelled, These lips are not a grave. In the break, when I walked off to the men's toilets, I heard Diane say, He's got a big phallus in his head. Back in class, when discussion turned to Acreture, Feminine and Jane Eyre, Diane loudly declared, I am Bertha. We all are, the class agreed. Except for him, he's Rochester, said Diane. We're students, I said. Then Diane looked straight into my eyes and said, I could easily insert my clitoris into the end of your penis. Or she said something like that. It was a vertiginous moment. But I steadied myself with the thought that everything was said in goodwill. Rejecting traditional femininity was agreed upon, except for young Mary, who came to the first class expecting lessons in deportment. She asked Carol, Why isn't the course organised into skin care and etiquette? Carol just presented her with a tuft of armpit hair. Mary didn't come back. How can you subvert gender norms by upholding them? Carol asked. Why is Mary embracing this rubbish when we are rejecting it? Carol then focused firmly on me and asked, Why is blood in sanitary product commercials always blue? Why are tampons taxed as luxury goods? And why do people insist on misnaming vulvas vaginas? Mate, Carol said, Don't you know anything about vulvomorphic geography? And tell us, Tarquin, why do the vagina monologues never once mention the vulva? The week after being publicly excoriated by Carol, I rebelled by doing some extreme manspreading. I expelled wind with rough, unhewn masculinity. I urinated into the toilet like a stallion. I played guitar to chicks. I got a black eye in a fight. I said, bring it on, as I peered down into my Jamison shots and beer. Days later, I awoke bruised and hungover. Struggling for a way through my painful, serious poisoning, I thought, I'll ace that essay and presentation. When I returned to class from term break, I had a bikey's beard and was wearing shoes with a high heel. I'd been drinking protein shakes and lifting weights, so I looked taller and heftier. My research on evolutionary psychology had made it clear that all healthy women, even blue-stockinged ones, wanted the protection of a strong man. I paced the classroom like a panther. I led with the crotch, towering over the little hobbit women in the room. I took a chair, 
loudly cleared my throat and stretched powerfully like a barely contained Picasso bull. I surveyed the room without moving my head, using only my eyes like a crocodile. I was ten different ferocious wild animals. After listening to Diane prattle on about how Charlotte Bronte was Jane Austen's subconscious, which led to the surprising idea that Bertha was Jane Austen's evil twin, and after enduring two presentations about the glass ceiling and one about Simone de Beauvoir, it was finally my turn to present. I opened with my axiom. Women are the most powerful creatures on earth. All the amazing things men do, I said are done to win a woman's favour and her sensuality. Even with a moustache, and I caught the eye of several offenders, a woman cannot hide the delicate beauty of her neck. I summarised the evolutionary scientists. Men desire women who are hot, and women want men with resources. I stood up and took off my leather jacket, to reveal my new weightlifting pecs and arm muscles. My white singlet had a picture of Tom Cruise on it in his role as Frank Mackey from the critically acclaimed film Magnolia. Written beneath Cruise's vacuum-sealed phallus were the words that formed the title of my women's studies presentation. (coughs) (coughs) Respect the phallus and tame the vulva. I swivelled so everyone could get a good look at my new torso. Don't get upset, ladies, I counselled because even aggrieved women smell nice. At this, I closed my eyes and sniffed deeply, and then let out a loud grunt, like Pacino's hoo-ha in scent of a woman. Do you know, I asked rhetorically, I can impregnate every woman in this room in under 40 minutes, and the only thing that could stop me is a bad hip-to-waist ratio. I could then leave and never return but you would be saddled with years of childcare and drudgery. Evolutionary psychology says it's all about youth, ladies. Large pert breasts will always be on trend. And blondes too, because their hair fades at 30. Small-breasted brunettes are, by nature, enigmatic. Look, I understand you might not like this, but until women start going out with poor men they find unattractive, then you are all implicated in this too. In the meantime, rich men will continue to tame attractive women. I appreciate you listening, and I'm open for comment. Ah, thanks, mate, said Carol, who then opened the room to questions. That was an excellent performance, Tarquin, said Sarah. You really captured the weird hypertrophy of male adolescence. Almost added Diane, there was some dissonance between the masculinist discourse and Tarquin's slight body frame. No, piped in Joan, he was showing us that a nasty neo-masculinism can be channelled through a boyish build. Right on, said Carol, adolescent males account for a significant percentage of assaults on women. Tarquin shows us that you can be five foot two and a quarter, weigh 60 kilos, and still be filled with misogynistic rage. Indeed, there might be more rage because of his size. But, Sarah added, was Tarquin critiquing male chauvinism or showing symptoms of it? Oh, both, clearly, clarified Carol. His performance was thoroughly entangled with what it was trying to ironise. 
That's what made it so ironic. But I'm afraid today we're pressed for time. And Tark, you didn't cite any set text, so unfortunately I can't pass you. Cow. I snarled silently to myself. Sarah and I gathered up our books, and she walked me down to the uni bar. We ordered beers with dashes of lime cordial and slid onto a table of friends. We talked for hours, our legs touching and warming each other into the freezing night. Later, she walked me to our dorm and dropped me off at my door. I failed the surrogacy essay too. However, although I was a complete failure in Women's Studies 101, I feel that, in the end, I succeeded on a personal level in rejecting all the old patriarchal models. Right now, as I write, Sarah is at work, and our children at childcare. I've opened a bottle of Pinot, and am looking out from my writing desk to my tiled pool and subtropical garden. I haven't worked in years, and after getting over all those ridiculous social expectations about what men should do, all that misconceived stuff about duty, provision, and keeping a six-pack, I feel pretty good. Sometimes after Ming Lin has done the laundry and dishes, and I've had a smoke and a swim, I feel great. I watch some HBO, play a funky song on my guitar and surf the net, seeing things on there that would really break Carol's spirit. I notice that Danish guys are making a killing, selling their sperm to single women from Shropshire and Essex. I guess the strong Viking type is still popular. Women's studies really opened up my horizons. If it wasn't for women's studies, I don't think I'd appreciate how great it is that a woman can have it all these days. The extremely challenging career, the irrepressibly energetic children, and the sweet, sweet trophy husband. Tarquin, you brave little boy, living and surviving the trauma of all those women burning their bras. I remember when they arose on the campuses of the West, when those harridans did wear a brasier. The bras had pictures of great white pointer sharks lunging from them. Horror billows. And quite a contrast... To the adjunct lecturer of my school of Western civilization, the intellectually fetching Ms. Clutterbuck, and her stock of duck egg blue and pastel pink cardigans, oh, gives me the shivers. The perfection of perfect days. I'm sorry, Sir Alec, but that story has you written all over it. Yes, you capture the cultish buck and thrust of the young male geisha, which truly, madly, and more madly, surprises me. Yes, I was a brave young cult when I chose to be the only man in women's studies. But, and it's a big but, your imagination has got well away with you in that piece. Characterising the face of my Professor Carol as Magritte's nipples for eyes painting is uncalled for. Well, on my campus, the head of the gender school did style her head to look like that monstrous painting by Magritte. She dyed her hair 
the same colour as the painting. She sported a moustache that resembled it, and she squinted her eyes provocatively. Sir Alec, that you can imagine this, that you feel it to be true. This face of a woman's body parts proves that the head of gender at your campus knew what she was doing. She probably had you in mind when she put the poster up all over your university. Oh, there was a copy put on my office door. Now that you raise it. I think she knew, Sir Dr Lord Sarand, that you were scared of women's body parts while simultaneously desiring them. What a broken tree you are. Tarquin, ask any objective person and they will tell you that that painting is weird beyond belief. What? Your high Anglican belief. How very dear you. You know nothing. How very dear you. Sorry, dear listener, we must fade out now on that conversation, Sir Alec and I, toing and froing, because we have more than exceeded our set time. We must skip another plea from Jane for you to help her at Patreon. And we must move on to the next and final episode of Series 1. Will there be a series two? Who knows? What with all the work of the School of Geisha and a, as yet, untested Kyoto court jester seeking a Prince Medici Patreon page. Ah, the entangled web toes we feed. But the bar is low. But I'm still jumping. Our home is patreon.com slash gibbos nasty notes 